Welcome to this episode of Creators Are Brands, the show that explores how creators are building businesses online. This show is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And today, this conversation is with someone who is also part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, Jay Klaus. He is one of my favorite creator educators, a phrase that he coined and we discuss further on this show. He's built a successful podcast called Creative Elements, one that I actually listen to the most. He has a lucrative newsletter called Creator Science and a membership community that helps people like you become professional creators. This year, his one-person media company is on pace to bring in over 300000 And in this show, we talk about where you should be starting as a creator why you should be building a creative platform and what that is, why he's building a video first podcast, the most valuable asset you can build as a creator, what platform drives the most of his sales, why you should plan for ads at the beginning when you launch your podcast, what ad inventory actually means, and his production process for recording his podcast. All right, without me blabbing on anymore, let's get into the conversation. Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm so stoked to have you on. Uh, I think you've done such an amazing job of building like the prototype creator creative platform yeah. as you call it right yeah yeah thanks man uh it's it's fun because i get to try a bunch of things but it's also like so frustrating because i feel like i have to try all the things uh as opposed to being like i'm gonna just do this one thing really well like i feel like i need to have a working knowledge of all different platforms and all different strategies so i can explore it with guests on the show and and write about it and talk about it so I've definitely done a lot of expansion for a very small team of me. <laughs> are are you the team? <laughs> I have a video edit, uh, video editor named Connor. He's fantastic. I have an audio engineer named Nathan. He's also fantastic, and that's pretty much it. Uh, like I mostly work through partnerships. Otherwise, um, so for most of the business, you know, outside of the podcast and the YouTube channel. It's it's just me back behind the keys, so it's it's a lot. That's why I admire your brand so much because it's um you know you go to your website you you see the quality of the of the YouTube channel of the podcast and the and the YouTube show it's kind of the same thing We're, we'll talk more about that but then also your thorough co- catalog of of courses and products and membership and everything so as someone that is new that is like building an audience and they kind of look at what you've built. And with the tagline, I help people become create, cre- uh, professional creators, where should they get started? I think the first thing you need to figure out is what is your unique message? And the thing I refer to all the time is Wes Cowell. She's co-founder of Maven. She started Alt MBA with Seth Godin. She has this incredible blog post called Spiky Point of View. And the idea of a spiky point of view is something that you believe that not necessarily everyone else believes. Uh, she says it's at the intersection of surprising and true. Mm. And that's like such an incredible cornerstone for any creator to figure out what is my unique viewpoint that gives people a reason to pay attention. Um, and it can be, you know, kind of a, a, a flavor on top of something that other people have talked about in some ways, but you got to figure out like why... Why should people follow follow you? If you're just imitating somebody else, then they're going to figure that out and follow the person that you're kind of modeling after and imitating. You need to have something that is uniquely you, and it should probably be a viewpoint that you can expand on and build all kinds of IP around and frameworks and and be known for that thing. Uh, a lot of people kind of create 
endless like mindlessly or without yep. any direction and they're like okay well this person just did a, a tweet thread about um you know uh mental models i guess i'll do that now and then <laughs> yeah. they're like in that in that corner and then they decide well maybe i'll actually just like put a thread out about this other thing over here and they don't stand for anything they don't they don't yep. have a consistent viewpoint on something and you got to have that because that's like the bedrock of what you build upon you talked on the website about building a creative platform instead of a personal brand and and I'm with you on that. You talk a little bit about just like it's kind of cringy to say personal brand, but like you know what people are trying to communicate with that. So tell me uh, in your mind, like why a creative platform is is a better positioning than a creative or uh, than a personal brand, and what really is a, a a creative platform? I think that the idea of a creative platform is a little bit broader and more inclusive because there are a lot of people who are creators and maybe even solo creators who aren't building behind their name yes. either. You know, like they're, uh, even my newsletter, Creator Science, I would say that's my creative platform. Yep. Um, even though my name is closely associated with it, a lot of people that read that obviously know that I'm the writer of it. That is the platform that I'm building as a creator. And so your creative platform just embodies all of the places you exist online. It's, it's yeah. you, everything the light touches that is your kingdom, that is your creative <laughs> platform. Uh, whether it's your your blog, your podcast, your newsletter, your digital products, anything that you're making, I would bucket that all under what is this platform that you're building for yourself. And it can still be behind your name. I just like the idea of a creative platform. Yep. And it's kind of what I'm doing myself actually with bonus footage. Uh, that was sort of my thinking. Um, I think you did, you had a better way of articulating that <laughs> of like intuitively, like intuitively, like what I was sort of doing with, but I was like, this is going to be like a, a place to just throw my ideas for this type of person. And I'm going to see, I'm going to see what comes of it. Um, now I had a bunch of experience, uh, you know, working as a freelancer, um, having like building specific knowledge as like a, someone that was, trying to monetize my ideas uh, uh -huh. over the years. And then through that, I started to develop like my opinions on it, uh, my perspective, my like, and, and ways to share that. Um, do you think, I'm curious, like, cause I look at uh, your, your, your membership uh, and, and sort of like the, the positioning of, of helping people become um, professional creators. When someone comes into your world, at what phase in that like journey is, is like the person that you're talking to? Is it someone that is starting from scratch or is it maybe they have an audience and they really don't know what to do with it? Generally, it's somebody that's publishing consistently somewhere. All right. And, yep. and they have some sense of at least the direction they're going if they haven't like really dialed in the the messaging and positioning of it yet. Um, earlier than that, there's not like a ton of help I can give other than like start publishing. Like you need to find your your message and what you're trying to help people in this world do and who those people are. But mostly I try to help people who are in the process of making things and they're feeling like, man, I'm putting a lot of effort into this and it's not quite paying off yet. That's where people tend to enter my world. So, so right now your main, would you say your main um, content is your your podcast or would it be the newsletter? Like where's your main focus right now as far as how you're building your audience? It's split pretty yeah. much down the middle. I mean, the the podcast is probably my largest 
property. Eh, not really. I feel like my newsletter is probably my largest property. And even then, like maybe Twitter is the largest property. Yeah. So it's it's really split between, I would say, Twitter, uh, my email list, and the podcast. And now the podcast is also audio and video. So YouTube has grown total audience of the show quite a bit because it's just a lot more discoverable. And it's kind of crazy just to, just to pull up the analytics on YouTube. And even though my best videos, you know, they're at like 4,000 views. That's still pretty crazy. That's 4,000 views. That's that's like, it's not 4,000 downloads because we know in the podcast world, like downloads and listens are not the same thing. Often phones will download an episode and that person doesn't listen to it at all. On YouTube, views are much closer. Like this person actually clicked play. Yeah. Uh, and that's huge. Like that that grew the show immensely just out of the gate because there is there is so much natural discovery, discovery on YouTube. So right now, I would say probably emails where I put most of my like I want every I want all roads to lead to email. I want everybody yep. to be on the email list. Even even though we're gonna prioritize YouTube a lot uh, in December and all through 2023, a lot of that effort will be driving viewers to email. Why? Because it's like an insurance policy to me. Like it's 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 the way that I can reliably communicate with the people that I have successfully gotten into my world somehow. Yeah. Whether, and yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I got, I got excited. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that in email, my message is going to get into your inbox. If you signed up for it, yep. it's still your choice as to whether you open that and read it, but that's not true of any other platform. Like usually any other platform, you put something out there, it might, you know, get into somebody's feed. Uh, even if it's a subscriber feed, but email reliably like lands in people's inboxes. It's their choice whether they want to open it or whether they want to continue receiving it, but there's no other third-party interference between me and that person. And so that's that's an asset that is just like the most valuable thing you could have as a creator. And would you find, I'm going, I'm, I had like, I had a bunch of questions lined up, but I, I, I'm, I'm getting, I, I have some other ones that are popping up as we're talking. Um, would you say they email so you have a bunch of uh once people are on your email list when you think about monetization is is that where most of the conversions are made or is it through direct links people finding in the youtube description or your podcast descriptions i don't think there's that much of conversion to sales happening on audio or video yeah okay to me yeah. like all of my sales come from email or twitter Okay. And I've been surprised how effective Twitter has been this year, but it's almost always been historically email. And that will either be like a dedicated email to say, hey, here's a thing that I'm doing and here's how you can buy it. Or it'll be a part of my regular weekly newsletter that I put out, actually twice a weekly newsletter. So it's, uh, it's just really effective. It's just so much easier to go from email, written copy with a link to a page that lets you purchase something than audio it's so hard to convert anything in audio yeah um, yeah and, and especially with audio people are not really primed in like buying like mentality they're like my wife is literally upstairs right now uh she's she's making uh brussels sprouts in a new uh, air fryer um, and and she's got a podcast on she like if someone went to sell something to her right now she's not like going in and clicking it no she's it's kind of it's in the background as she's doing something else but when you're on email, you're kind of like you got to, you got the mouse ready. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? your hands are on the keyboard. Yeah, exactly. Totally. And um, I, I mean, I've been trying 
Uh, I do have a lot of people who join my membership community of the lab and they will talk about how long they've been listening to the show. So it does feel like there is a, a whole ecosystem around my creative platform and people who listen to the show generally end up on email or people who are in email generally listen to the show. So now they're in both these places. And so they're, they're getting touch points about some of the things that I'm doing and some of the opportunities to them in stereo, you know, in both, in both of those places. But typically... I see a lot more conversion in email and Twitter than I do audio or video. Yeah. I haven't figured out YouTube conversion at all. Let's say someone has built an audience up. They have around 1,500 email subscribers. They have some sort of platform where they create content, whether it's TikTok or, or Twitter. or uh, And they're thinking about the next, like, having some sort of money get come in return of this content that they're creating where do they start now would you say it's like because I, I know I, I saw your breakdown of all of your revenue streams would it be affiliates first would it be start playing around with a freebie start trying to sell ads like where would you direct someone it really I mean it, the answer to like everything is it depends right yeah but if I were to pick one I want thing, one thing <laughs> at that size <laughs> advertising probably isn't a great option yep affiliates a decent option but uh, depends on the product and it's not going to be like super meaningful. And also you don't have full control over that. Like there are so many people who just printed money being a Bluehost affiliate that like that will degrade over time or Bluehost could just be like, no, actually we're not going to even have an affiliate program yeah. anymore. So to me though, the win is having your own product, probably digital because then it's like infinitely scalable and you know, you can sell somebody else's project product or you can sell your own product. The answer, uh, the the difference is you can have a hundred percent revenue from that, or you can get you know a whatever percent commission on it. So I think you should sell your own product. I think it should probably be a digital product of some kind, and that's where I would start because that that is where you can build the biggest, most scalable business um, over time. Like that becomes an asset you can leverage over and over and over again. So let's say like okay, but how do I make a digital product? What platform do I use? How long should it be? What for, you know? How do you make those little decisions? And if you have, I mean, if that's sign up the creative elements first, yeah. and I think we should plug that um, because I, I get a lot of my the, use, the inf useful information from there that I'm applying to my own creator brand. But uh, like, curious, like, what would you direct them yourself? I should take one quick step back. Okay. Most of the time, when I'm speaking to my audience and giving advice, it comes through the lens of a creator who is what I call a creator educator. I think that there are... I love that term. I Thank saw you. you use that, and I started I stole it, I started using it. <laughs> All good. Um, I, I think that there's basically two camps. You can think of it as a Venn diagram. You have creator educators who are people who are literally creating content for the purpose of informing people, doing you know a transfer of knowledge to other people. Uh, and then you have creator entertainers that are on the more like extreme Mr. Beast yep. side where it's like, I just want to give you an enjoyable experience yes you know so when i talk about what products did you build build a digital product that makes a lot of sense for a creator educator for someone who's just uh you know kind of building an influencer style business around their personality um and they're not specifically trying to teach a specific avatar type of person you know a certain thing that's a little bit harder um to do a digital product I'm so glad you, that you brought that up because I forgot to put that on my questions. But the, I 
I, I've talked about that for a minute. The idea that like people use the word creator as this like broad term. Oh my gosh, just, it's huge. Just to talk, it, I'm like, I'm like, that's like saying athlete. Like, you know, a, a pickleball player is very different than an NFL football player. You know, it's like the way you train, the way you, the, the, the equipment, everything that goes into that process. And so you, it, it's going to be different teaching styles, different products and like they, they, they can attach to their yeah. brand. Yeah. Uh, like if, so, if you're a streamer, digital products might not be the way to go. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So I like creator educator. Let's assume that that is the audience that is listening. They, they teach they help people get from A to B. They have specific knowledge. They um, they have a passion around this subject. I get that. I'm sure you get that question all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, when can I start sell selling a digital yeah. product? I'm like, listen, you can always be in, in the back of your mind kind of testing it, you know, testing concepts. Like, like that's what you use your tweets for. I, I remember I saw someone say, like, like, the tweet becomes the blog post. The blog post becomes the book. The book becomes the movie. And, like, that's how you, you can test that in your own way as a creator educator. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, no matter how big your audience is, you want to get so tapped in to who they are and why they're paying attention to you that it should become pretty obvious what the product is. Like, they're paying attention to you for some reason. You're doing some job for them in their life, and they're they're trying to glean something. So what is that? If you if you do a good job of attracting an audience with your content, you just got to ask and, and listen and pay attention to what they're looking for. And then whatever their problem is, how can you construct a solution to that? And maybe it's a digital product. Maybe it's something entirely different. Maybe it's a physical product. Maybe it's a journal. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, a membership community. You just have to kind of get tapped into that. And you don't need a ton of people in the beginning. You know, make the thing. Go back to somebody who told you that they needed a solution to some problem. Say, I made this for you. Can you actually just go through this and tell me if it helps you? Yep. And it's it's just product development. My background before I was in the creator world was startups and specifically product. So to me, a lot of these things are just like intuitive product processes, which I realize a lot of people haven't gone through. Like the idea is you have a target customer. They have a problem. You're creating a solution to that problem that solves it and makes them happy. And in a lot of our world, people are trying to learn some skill or develop some competency or uh, achieve some outcome. And so we're coming in and saying, I know the outcome you're trying to achieve. I know the problem you're trying to solve. This course will help you do that. This, uh, this uh, template will give you a head start on that. This membership community will help you learn how to do this. That's what we're trying to develop here. And that exists at all kinds of different you know, verticals, industries, niches. People are trying to level up all the time. You know, my, my customers are people who are trying to grow and improve, uh, in my case, as creators. And in other people's cases, all kinds of things, like Miss Excel on TikTok. She's on TikTok. She's doing her dance thing. But, like, ultimately, her people are trying to learn how to use Excel really well. Yep. So she built an Excel course to help them do that. There's opportunities like that for you. You just have to listen. And if you don't have anyone to listen to, you also don't have anybody to sell to. So you need to, like, spend time developing... Uh, a reputation and an audience around your platform. Now, with the podcast, I'd love to go into some specific questions about how you do your show, how you approach your show to help uh, improve mine, sure. uh, so I can be on your level. And then, and then two, and then two to help any listeners that are also building a podcast. Sure, I have I have some technical questions and then questions around like you know monetization and just like the overall approach. Okay, maybe cool. So one, what should I tell my guests? 
to make sure that their audio is great on their end. <laughs> oh, I mean, you won't be able to do this very well. I'm, what, okay. I, what, what I try to do is I will tell people ahead of time, ideally, you have an external microphone. If you don't have an external microphone, ideally, you have corded, like, Apple headphones, the microphone. If yeah. you don't have that, we'll probably use your built-in microphone and Bluetooth anything is, like, a last-case scenario. <laughs> yeah. But generally, what, like, pr people probably don't read that message, so they show up on <laughs> the show yeah. and... It's my job before we hit record to like do my best to get the best audio possible from what I'm hearing. Okay. Like as soon as somebody connects, I'm like, okay, what am I hearing? I'm hearing a lot of background noise, but it looks like they have a microphone. Let's talk about turning the gain down. Or, okay, I see a microphone, but it definitely doesn't sound like it's coming from a microphone. So let's make sure they've chosen the right audio source. Yeah. Or, uh, hey, you're using corded headphones, which is great, but you have long hair and it's rubbing on that a lot. So yeah. let's, let's call that out. Well it's a before recording thing. Okay, cool, cool. And just kind of like over time, you pick up the little things that that you're seeing along the yeah. way. Oh, the dishwasher. I, I'm hearing that clang in the background. Yeah. We got we got to close the door to the kitchen. Yeah, the best thing you can do is is try to just nudge in that direction. And ultimately, like actually, the built-in microphones in uh, people's machines, their hardware is usually pretty good. It's, it's like a better option than Bluetooth headphones most of the time because the microphones and that just aren't very strong. It's easier, especially if you're working with an audio engineer, to clean up uh, the built-in microphone audio. And, you know, you it, have about... It, on on the, like, like a MacBook? Yeah. 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 You, ha you have a few minutes. Like, I book a 60-minute slot with people. And I want to get the most out of 60 minutes as I can on recording, right? But... Um, I, I want to make sure that we start with some rapport and we have good audio, we have good video. So it's it's like a five-minute exercise and me trying to optimize for the best audio and video while also not being really off-putting about like, hey, let's fix <laughs> these like, things. Like judging them, hey, can you move over there? Uh, can you yeah, start lower? Like, that would be such a jarring experience to just to log on and be like, okay, this is, this is messed up. Like you've got to do these things. It's, it's always to get on and they say, and I say, Hey, great to see you, Tom. How you doing? How's your day going? And they're like, oh, great. How's it going? How do I sound? And I'll say, okay, well, you actually sound like, I see a microphone, but it doesn't look like that's what I'm getting the audio from. Yep. So it's 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 trying to warm them up and get this set up. So it's like, we're a team and it's not, you're failing me. It's like, let's see the, if we can do something about this. Yeah. And, and the good thing about the sort of the, the lane that you and I have, have picked here is that we're having conversations with people that are creators that like, yeah. that kind of have an idea of 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 how, you know how to be doing these shows yeah usually people show up just with phenomenal things i remember yeah. my first my first episode of creative elements was with seth godin and he showed up in a sound booth <laughs> a full dedicated single person sound booth with a microphone and i was like in my tiny studio apartment <laughs> You're like, it's like i gotta i gotta level this stuff up yeah hey but like that, that's the that's the norm now you know um, okay, so so the, you and you have a long tweet about uh, you know a uh, uh, breaking down uh, lessons you've learned as you built your podcast, and one of them said plan for ads from the beginning when you're starting the show. What does that mean? It means that there aren't many people that listen to podcasts and think, "Man, I wish there were more ads." You know, like it's not your favorite part of the listening experience. Yeah. What I see a lot of shows do is they'll start with no ads because they have no advertisers. And then as the show gets successful, now they start putting ads in and listeners are sensitive to the difference. And they think, oh, there's ads in this now. Uh -huh. I hate this. So what I encourage people to do is assume you will have ads one day, hopefully soon. 
build the show from the beginning to accommodate that and to have those little ad breaks inside of it so that listeners are already used to taking these little breaks. So it's not yep. a change. It's not like a, a big negative shift when you start rolling them out. And that could just be promoting your own newsletter, promoting a product that you have, or cross-promoting with another show. You know, something that is an advertisement for something else. It's not the actual show content. I would have those built in from the very beginning. That's a wonderful point. Uh, you know what's crazy too about, uh, because there are a couple things here. I, I did that early on. Uh, I went another version of the podcast um, and I just like kind of made a joke about it. I was like, this show is sponsored by going on a walk. Like, go on a walk today. <laughs> you know, like, just like, That's hilarious. like, it just talks about the benefits <laughs> of, of going on a stroll and, and uh, the people enjoyed it. Um, and then uh, for this show, when I started getting, I, I, there is something. Audio listeners are more trained for having ads involved in the shows. And as a creator, I find that it is the best way to do ads. Like, even though, like, it is a little annoying, like, people don't love them. But if there's one format, the the, the podcast, it almost legitimate. it, like, makes it sound legitimate. Oh, someone's paying them? It must be, it must yeah. be an important show. I think that people have really come to tolerate that type of thing more. I yeah. think people understand that they an need ad to do- in the show <laughs> means that the show is being supported financially. Yeah. But I also do think that uh, creators are also getting more and more strict on the type of things they um, accept. Uh, yep. To be honest, like I have, I have ads in my newsletter, and that is managed by the ConvertKit sponsor network, which has been wonderful. And they do ask. Is that an ad? Pre- that's not an ad. Oh, I can uh, make. All right, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> they they do allow me like editorial control over who I allow to advertise. Um, and generally, like if it's a line and if I think it's a good product, uh, I'm, I'm down with it. And what I've realized recently in talking to people in my audience, they really take my recommendations on those ads seriously, like to a degree that I didn't think they would. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to get more and more critical over the ad copy, who the advertiser is, because I kind of assumed people would realize this is this is a paid thing and Jay uh, accepts it as a paid thing. He's not necessarily endorsing it, but I think just by virtue of having it in there, there's a soft endorsement. Uh, stronger, though, than I expected. And every time you give an answer, I have like five questions, uh, five ways that I could go with it. But let's talk about just the idea, because we, we had a phone call before the first time that we met and you used a word, you used a phrase, ad inventory. And this is something that that I've heard previously. I, I want to say, like, I don't un- entirely, like, I pretended like I knew what it meant. I <laughs> Like, <laughs> what does it mean? Like, what is an ad inventory spot, like, as a creator? Like, how yeah. how do you, th- like, I, I intuitive, I think I have an idea, but I'm curious, the audience might, you know, be wondering the same thing. Let me let me continue with the newsletter example, because okay, I think it's a okay. little bit easier to visualize. So, I write two, ne- two newsletters per week. Yep. And each of those newsletters, I allow for one paid ad. So in a typical week, my ad inventory in my newsletters is two. Okay. I have, I have two units of ad uh, space that I'm willing to sell. Uh, same is true of my podcast. Podcast releases once a week in audio. There are 10 ad units. Two of those are post-roll, so most people never hear it. So your ad inventory is just looking at either how many placements are available or okay. in a podcast game like at the point where I am in, I am now it's not about discrete 
units per episode because they're not baked into the audio. They're dynamically placed. I sell ads based on impressions. So my ad inventory in the podcasting world is based on impressions and downloads as opposed to placements. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like if I if I promise somebody that they're going to get 50,000 impressions on their ad, as soon as that ad is seen 50,000 times, heard 50,000 times, that unit disappears and that space in the same podcast episode could go to a new advertiser. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. So is there other examples of that? Like, for example, could a link in, like, how do you communicate your ad inventory to people? <laughs> like, yeah. could your link in bio be one? Could, uh, you know, the description could, links be part of the ad inventory? It could. Like, you're basically looking at, you know, it's, it's all supply and demand. You have to have some sort of management of your ad inventory so you know what's available and when. Uh, but there, there's got to be some level of scarcity to it. So, okay. you know, in podcast wor- world, I'm only going to do a certain number of impressions per month, per year, however often. So I can only sell that number of impressions. Or in the newsletter example, I only have two newsletters a week. That's two ad spots. So I can only sell two ad spots per week. That's what makes the thing valuable is that there's limited supply. And you could do that with anything else. You could say, like, I will allow for one advertiser in my link and bio page once a month, you know, and I swap that out once a month. So the scarcity is there's only one of those per month. Uh, YouTube is a little bit different. I haven't figured out the YouTube ad model that I'm happy with quite yet because that's, that's all baked in. So it's hard for me to price that because yeah, impressions can be wildly different yeah, based on things that I don't even understand or predict. Because if I knew how to make my YouTube videos have more impressions every single week, I would do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, that That's a good one. Uh, no, it, it, you have to be a little bit more crafty with the with the with the YouTube, and, and that's part of like becoming a, a professional creator is 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 just knowing these different areas, like that you're providing value to people and how yeah. you're integrating it into into th- your brand. I think generally people do YouTube in like two stages. Like early on, they'll basically do the baked in version to say it costs this much to put a video into or an ad into one of my videos, and I'm selling you placement in one of my videos but i think as they grow in scale i think they try and predict a certain level of impressions or promise a base level of impressions and then anything on top of that is gravy anything below that they have what's called a make good where they'll figure out some way to get more impressions whether that's like mentioning you in some other video or something else so i don't know i haven't cracked that yet okay Um, you know youtube itself has a monetization feature so that's probably where i'll start but uh, there's definitely opportunity for advertising directly in the show. I just haven't figured it out yet. Uh, and and how much could you share? How much you charge for a newsletter ad for one yeah. of those inventory spots? Right now, it comes out to be about six hundred dollars per issue. Okay. Um, and that is loosely based on a CPM, uh, which would be yeah, and and that's. That's I saw ConvertKit rolling out that program, so they help you find the sponsors right through their platform yeah. that you're already paying for. It's a, it's about a forty dollars CPM, a little bit higher than a forty dollars yeah. CPM, which is pretty common. I think our typical podcast CPM is about thirty five. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Are you enjoying that that convert? Because I, I saw that, like, uh-huh. as I'm building my newsletter, I was trying to look at different platforms, and that was one of the elements that I, that I, that I thought would be enticing about going with ConvertKit. It's great. Uh, they, they do have some uh, general guidelines that you have to fall within to be on the network. Like, I think they still have a minimum uh, requirement of 10,000 subscribers to pull you onto the network right now as they're growing. I'm sure that will go down and down and down as they scale the, yeah. all the operations and stuff. It's been great for me because it, it very closely mirrors my podcast advertising process, which is someone else is responsible for selling the ads. They get a percentage of what they sell, and I just, you know, plug it in. Yep. And that's really nice because I don't have to do the hunting or the communication or the reporting. It's just here's the here's the uh, creative and you put it in and I collect my fee and we move on. And as a like a solo creator, that those are the type of relationships I want to build more of, even though I'm, you know, quote unquote, leaving money on the table. To me, that's worth it because it's saving a lot of space for me uh, and not requiring that I hire somebody to manage that. Exactly. Dealing with, you know, someone else. Uh, yeah. It, it, I, I I find so many of these platforms, they're, um, especially one like that, that that is built by a creator, like they're, they're just making it. It's never been easier to, <laughs> to build a creator, a creative pl- platform and, and make money online. Now one, and uh, back to the podcast it's, I have to say like, I've experimented with shorts, with the youth, with YouTube, with, with tweeting, with, I, the podcast format is one of my favorites, um, and I'm curious, um, from your end, what is something that you wish you knew um, when you first started the podcast to now that you wish you knew uh, that would have made the process a, l- a bit uh, more seamless for you? Make the process more seamless? I wish what I would have done is start in video. Is like start the real video. A- answer. Is I wish I would have started on YouTube because a podcast is not new audience acquisition you don't you don't get new audience because you have a podcast not in a meaningful way not for most people a podcast is like a a relationship accelerant like a trust accelerant if people are already in your world if they're already like in the in the realm of your creative platform and you have a podcast and they start listening to it they're going to develop a much deeper relationship with you but you don't get a lot of new audience acquisition in audio in video that's not true because there's so much natural discovery on YouTube and so much time being spent there. So I started audio only. And then to go to a video process, I had to build the the production process from the ground up. Like we blew up the whole thing and changed the way we did everything because you have to go video first because that's where the majority of the editing is. And then you pull the audio out and put that up on the feed as an audio only thing. So much harder to go in the opposite because I was editing the audio myself. And if I were to edit the audio myself the way I was, and then try to attach that to video or you know, try to have someone edit the video to match that audio afterwards, it would be a nightmare. So I had to go video first. And also, it's a different game. Like YouTube's a totally different game than podcasting. In audio, I really took a, an intentional effort to make the experience, the listening experience feel cozy is how I would describe it. And like the, the way that actually manifests as you're editing audio is I would increase space between sentences so that it felt like a slower more comfortable listening pace in video you have mr beast coming in now and say like i took ten thousand people and i put them <laughs> on an island and i'm gonna give them ten thousand dollars and like that's what you yeah, have yeah. to do to c- c- 
keep uh, attention in video or you're going to see a huge drop off at the beginning. So we're still playing with that because like the pacing on YouTube has to be so much faster, but that doesn't make the audio product that I'm used to or really want. So it's like a process of how do we make the video product good for video and easy to make an audio product, but not make a whole separate product for audio off the back of it. And it's been, it's been a challenge. I think we're getting better. This newest episode I put out with Jake Thomas, uh, Connor did the intro to a higher degree than he's ever done before. And it is just gorgeous, beautiful, amazing. Uh, and I think we're going to do more of that. All right, so tell me, and that's sort of where I was getting at, the production process. So you have a, you have a team, you have an editor, a video editor, and an audio editor. Uh, what is like, a, a, if, you, you, if you were to plan out like, like one week of producing the show, is it, is it, you know, are you recording two or three episodes and batch recording in one day, the audio goes over, like, um, can you kind of give a high level view of the whole process? Yeah, I, I try to get ahead on interviews. Because if I have the interviews done, then I have all the raw materials I need to finish producing an episode. Yep. So I will typically record multiple episodes per week. And what I'm trying to actually do now is have on weeks and off weeks where like I will have one week where I'll have two to four interviews and the next week none. And then the yep. next week, two to four interviews and the next Same. week none. And so you're, you're getting enough like dry powder that you always have something to turn into an episode. Because when you have that type of runway in terms of just raw materials, then you can do more outreach to more busy, difficult to reach guests. And even if they have to schedule out months from now, you're not worried about filling your calendar up until that point. You've got plenty of plenty of dry powder there. So that's that's the first step is just getting really far ahead on interviews themselves. And then we take like one episode at a time. Uh, I script it. I record the voiceover. Connor takes that as additional raw material and does like a full video edit, adding B-roll and sound design and things like that. Uh, once he finishes the edit and video, he'll export the audio tracks from the video editor and my uh, sound engineer will make the audio track sound even more crispy and then he'll put that back on. And are, are team-wise, are, are they full-time or are they contract? No. Position? Okay. They're both contract. The audio engineer uh, doesn't have like a ton of time oh. on him. He basically just like puts it through the presets for me and then makes the guest sound good. And it doesn't okay. take him like an hour to do the full yeah. mix on it. And my, my video editor, he's not full time, quote unquote, but I'm trying to buy like all of his time. Yep. Yeah. And th that's an intensive job that the, the, the video editing aspect of, of a video show. And now with the, the, um, pre-production of the show uh, what goes into the your process for um, getting the questions or building the outline is it is it you know questions that you're you know it's one two three four five six, or is it just more of an outline of bullets that you want to you want to explore it's kind of an outline like generally for my show I want to follow an arc of when did you start where are you now and hit a bunch of tactical insights along the way but I'm trying to follow their like career arc uh -huh. with their business. And so I need to do good enough research to get some interesting inflection points that I can find so I can bring them up if necessary. But then there's a lot of listening, to be honest. It's a lot of following my own natural curiosity. So I want to have a good sense of, I want to have as good of a sense as I can of their journey, just like intuitively. And then I kind of kick off the interview and follow it along, already knowing some of the beats that I want to hit. 
And I honestly, my preferred way of doing research is to listen to other interviews. Uh, I try to listen to one that's like very recent, and then I'll try to go back and listen to one that's a little bit earlier. But I want them to be, I want them also to focus a little bit on the arc so I can just hit the highlights and then ask really tactical, specific things. With each episode that you put out, in my mind, it's like you're able to juggle so many different things at once. And you're a team of one <laughs> how, um, from the community. Like how much time, like it sounds like a lot goes into just one episode each week. How much time is going into the community? And, and what does that look like as far as your workflow? Are, are you doing live um, group calls? Yeah. Uh, and another question is how many people are in the community at this point? We have about 160 people in the lab now. And we have a cap at 200. So we're we're getting close to capacity. Uh, and part of that was because I needed to guard my time because I do put a lot of it into it. Just in answering uh, questions in forums and DMs and things, I probably put an hour in a day. And most weeks I'll have like several uh, live calls, whether that's an hour-long office hours or we do these 30-minute hot seats where it's like a one-on-one coaching call essentially with one person. Uh, that the other community members can log into. So I'm probably putting, you know, 10, 12 hours a week into the community itself. Um, and, and a lot of that's you, in like short bits. Do like you have any be like, help with that? Any, no. Like a, a, no. It's all you. No. Yeah. And I mean, I try to create a culture of um, people helping each other for sure. But I I respond to just about every post that's in there even if other people are commenting like i try to respond to just about every post so that really is access to your world that's a sideline view of you building your creator business and saying hey i'm just going to brain dump this is everything that i've learned how much is that for for the each member how much does it cost yeah yeah. how much does it cost Is is it a monthly thing or is it yearly it's annual only and the the lowest price option is fifteen hundred dollars a year yep so it's it's a it's a sizable investment for for people, but I did that partially as a filter because I wanted the people in there to be a little bit more advanced. So for somebody to make that investment probably means that they are bringing in a good amount of money and that feels okay to them, um, and that like really compensates me for the effort that I'm putting in. Like everyone that joins, I'm pumped. I'm like this is this is awesome. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of time, and like I do things in there that are explicitly like come see how I'm doing this. Like every month I record a 30 minute video that goes through my profit and loss statement. And I'm like, here's how, here's how much money I made and from where and how much I spent and on what, and here's why I did it this way. Like it's, it's very behind the scenes. So if someone's listening right now and they're trying to think, am I a good fit for that? Or am I not? Um, what, what are some qualities that would make someone a good fit for that, that, that community? They should be like I was saying earlier, like actively publishing. They should be committed to making this their full-time thing. They should not feel like $1,500 is going to break the bank. And if those things are true, then they're probably a good fit. Um, I, I, I don't have like an application process. So I'm not going to rule anybody out. Um, the price is like the biggest filter there is. Like if that feels like it's a huge investment, then it's probably too early. If that feels uh, very comfortable and that sounds interesting, then it's probably a really good fit. And then of the monetization processes uh, or monetization streams, um, from affiliates, digital products, memberships, royalties, consulting, sponsorships, patronage, um, physical products, consulting and, and services. 
those are all the ones that you broke down as your revenue streams. Which ones do you find yourself helping people with the most in in the membership group? Helping them build? Yeah. Um, it's probably evenly split between digital products and memberships. There are a lot of people in there who uh, are really excited about building their own membership community. And a lot of the reason those people join is because I've built a reputation for having a really good onboarding experience and just generally good community experience and an engaged community. So there's a lot of like double dipping in that way where it's like, I'm going to come in here and get better as a creator, but also I can see everything that you're doing through your membership and try to emulate that in my own. Uh, so there's a lot of folks like that. Even beyond that though, like there's a lot of content strategy that we talk about. So it's not even like a paid product. It's, it's a lot of like content strategy. Um, yeah. And, and then um, platform wise, are, are people, are, is, are, are, people that are building on any platform or are there is, does it tend to skew more towards like Twitter or, or audio creators or I have data for this. Let me pull up. Let me pull this up. My so man. I can, I, My I can... man. We're going into the, into it. Let's go. We're going into <laughs> it. Okay. So, um, looking at the platforms people operate on 83% of people in the lab are focused on email lists, uh, followed by 64% are Twitter. 47% are YouTube, 41% are LinkedIn, 30% are Instagram, 30% podcast, 19% TikTok. And so obviously it's more than 100%, but it's which of these platforms are you actively trying to grow? So a lot of writers, uh, but more video than before, like uh, uh, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, that is basically on par with uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and podcasting. So after email list, it's it's pretty much all over the place. The one thing that we don't do very well is like Twitch, because again, it's it's more of a creator educator space than a creator entertainer. Yep, yep. Creator educator. I I think that it's like it, it when, when you when I I think I read that in your newsletter. You you kind of broke down what a creator educator was, and I was like, that's me. Like like that's that's what I've been trying to say, and and you articulated it so well. So check out Jay's. Jay's uh, newsletter, Creative Element, no, Creator, Creator, El Creative, Creative Science. El Letter. Creator Science is the newsletter. The podcast is is Creative Elements. One more question: I, You worked with Pat Flynn. I did. Um, he sort of was way ahead of his time as when it oh, comes yeah. to creator educators uh, and teaching people uh, how to make money in this in, in this crazy digital world. What is something that you've applied to your own business that you learned working with him? That's a good question. Um, I think what Pat really trailblazed and did well was like he innovated on the income reports. Like he was sharing yeah. exact, like, here's how much I'm making from my ebooks and here's what I'm learning. Like it was a very honest and thorough look at his business. And then that turned into like a marketing strategy for a lot of people for a long time where they're like, okay, let me just show you how much money I'm making and that's going to get your attention. You're going to come in more and more and more. But it became less through the lens of being helpful and honest and transparent and more like tactic-y for marketing. Not Pat, yes. but people who followed in, that, in those footsteps. So I'm actually trying to like return to kind of the origin and do more of the transparent sharing and the honest sharing uh, and use myself as a case study through all this because ultimately like my audience are creators and I'm ahead of most of the people that are paying attention in some aspect or another and 
um yes i want to show that well jay uh i appreciate it like i said i admire the brand that you've built uh go check out jay's platforms jay wh where do we want to send people if they if they want to if they want to get the uh the starter kit into your world yeah go to creatorscience.com sign up for the newsletter that'll open up the keys that's the key to the kingdom uh you can see everything else there but i'm anywhere that you are just fine jay klaus